Welcome to the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you inside cancer services right here in Greater Manchester. And now this episode is the first in a series of four that we're going to be doing, uh, looking at work going on in Greater Manchester, specifically to support and develop the cancer workforce. In future episodes, we'll take an in-depth look at some of the roles within cancer care, both new and existing, as well as how we're developing a culture of lifelong learning to help everyone reach their potential and deliver amazing care. But first, what's our strategy and why do we need one? I've got uh, with me today Suzanne Lilly, who's the Programme Director for Workforce and Education at the GM Cancer Alliance. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Steve. I've got Christopher Buckley, who's the Head of Greater Manchester Workforce Bureau at the NHS GM. Hi, Steve. And Gemma Butterworth, who is a trainee advanced clinical practitioner here at the Christie. Hi, Gemma. Hi. How are you all doing today? Really good, thanks. Right, Suzanne, let's let's start off with that question then. What is our strategy and why do we need one? Just tell us about what's going on. Just in one sentence. In one, well, in one sentence or, or in 10 minutes? Or. <laughs> well, we all love a good strategy, don't we? Yeah. Uh, I think when there's ever a challenge, it's like the first thing, let's get a strategy. And it can be, they can be quite dry documents, I think, but actually they're really important. And I know that you'll agree, Chris, with the work that you've been doing. And for me, there's three elements. It's a way of structuring what we need to do. You know, we know that the workforce is in crisis. It, it was before... COVID, so it's been happening a long time. The demand for cancer services has gone through the roof. We're getting more and more people diagnosed with cancer, more and more people that are living with cancer and living well with cancer. And that's put those two things together are putting a real pressure on the workforce. And there's not been that kind of stock take to do a helicopter view of, you know, what do we have enough capacity to keep coping with this demand? Because it's really tricky, it's really complex. People are firefighting day to day, you know, they're just trying to do their job, never mind, step back and think about well, what, what can we do to try and support the longer term, um, you know, strategy for the workforce. So that's what we can do at the Alliance, we can support that. Um, and I think it gives a place where we've got structured activity that's aligned to national documents, it's aligned to our Greater Manchester People and Culture Strategy, but it really prioritises what we need to do in the longer term to address this crisis. So I think that's one purpose for it. The other is that it gives assurance to people. So it gives assurance to the workforce that we're listening because a lot of the activity that we put in the strategy has been led by the workforce and what they think we need to do. So it gives them assurance that we're listening. We're actually going to be doing something about it. Um, gives assurance to organisations who have got huge, you know, they're not just looking at the cancer workforce, they've got cardiovascular mental health, they've got um, diabetes care, real breadth of workforce challenges. We can help them with that cancer element. And it gives assurance to our senior stakeholders in, in NHS England and Health Education England that we've got a plan. But I think the, the final bit for me and the bit that is what I'm passionate about is that I feel like it gives the workforce some hope, which might sound a bit cheesy, but they're really tired. They, you know, they've had such a stressful like few years with the pandemic and even before the pandemic. Burnout is a real thing. People are wanting to leave the NHS. We, through this strategy, there's loads of exciting stuff that we can do and we're giving people some hope that there's actually going to be a better future for them with working within the NHS. So let's talk practically, because that's actually what I was going to ask about. You know, we don't need to say it, people do feel tired. It's been a really tough time over the last few years. So how practically do you create an environment where people, you know, start to feel valued and supported, but also people maybe looking from the outside who are thinking, do I want to go down that route for my career? that they look in and say, that's where I want to be? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it, and it is a key part of our strategy is how can we attract 
future people into the cancer workforce. And it's doing some of that myth busting around the roles as well. So we're doing a lot of work around promoting careers in cancer. So you, some of you will be aware of the National Cancer CNS Day that happened last year. That started basically with, there was one line in the old strategy that said, we need to raise the profile of the cancer CNS. And that was what our CNSs wanted us to focus on. And um, we had a small room of cancer CNSs. How do we do that? Let's do a little social media campaign. Um, we'll do some videos, we'll showcase that it's not all doom and gloom about the role. There's, it's, there's definitely tough elements to it, but there's a lot of positivity around that role as well. It's an exciting role, they can get involved in transformation. Um, so let's do a social media campaign. And then that just absolutely snowballed because we found that there was other alliances that wanted to do something similar and it just escalated into this national day, really celebrated the role. Um, everybody got involved and I think they got a lot out of it because it was that day to dedicate to themselves and to showcase this is what we do. And the, you know, the impact of that is that people, general nurses or other people think, well, they may be attracted to that role as well once they hear more about what it involves. So we're doing a lot more and off the back of that, We've been asked by chemotherapy nurses to do something similar, research nurses, our allied health professionals. So there's a real um, desire, I think, for this promotional bit around cancer and having a career in it. Uh, and let's talk about one of the examples, because uh, one of the things that you're keen to do is support people moving across this wonderful area of ours. And one thing is the digital staff passports. And in general, I'll bring you in a second. But Suzanne, can you just explain what they are and what they do? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, for every workforce conference that you, we used to go to is like we need to make it easier for staff to move around you know if there's if there's capacity issues how do we get that people can move around and and use that resource most effectively but around that the legalities around it the admin around trying to do service level agreements honorary contracts it was a huge burden so it never quite happened and then we hit covid um, and this digital staff passport, well, it was initially a COVID-19 staff passport, was put in place to allow that movement. Um, and it's a really easy process that Gemma will talk through because she's experienced it. But what it will it helps is that it not only helps, so we had a surgeon who um, needed to cover a list, they worked at the Christie and they needed to cover a surgical list at MFT. Once they had that appointment with HR and verified through the passport, within 10 minutes, it was all process took 10 minutes they could then do that list um, a couple of days later so it's a really quick and easy process but it's a really good tool for actually allowing people to move around to access training and to shadow other people take best practice take it back to their organization um, so we wanted to invest in a project that showed how it could be used because we had the passport but nobody was using it I think it was such a change in practice so we tried to find people that we could build case studies of how it's used, what's the positive benefit for it and how it can help you as an individual, as a clinician, but also help the organisation as well. So that's what we focused on and, and Gemma's the living proof of how it can work. Well, let's go then, Gemma. I mean, what, how did it work for you? What did you, what did you want to do and how did the, the digital staff passport kind of help you do it? Um, so originally I found out about the passport through my old manager um, who'd seen it on an email that, um, she'd seen circulating around. Um, I then contacted um, the HR department here, so I had to download an app, had a quick 10 minute meeting, like you say, um, and within 10 to 20 minutes, it was live and active. Um, and I really wanted to go to other places and get further experience and exposure in different areas, not just in oncology, but I wanted to see, you know, cardiac patients, respiratory patients, um, all these kind of things elsewhere. 
Um, and it actually, I was actually on holiday and I bumped into an ACP on holiday who said, oh, I work at Salford. Uh, you should come and work there. So I said, okay. So eventually I ended up contacting them and got a placement on the EAU there. So it's the, the department just after A&E. So I was able to go there one day a week um, and go and work with the ACPs on there and work alongside there, shadowing them. Um, and I was able to get a lot of my competencies done as well for my portfolio, for my academic portfolio, for my training. Um, and it was fantastic exposure that I wouldn't have got at the Christie. Um, there was a lot of problems getting onto placements in certain areas at the Christie, so you can't, they're very limited because they have that many students. Um, so it's fantastic to go there and get that experience. You sort of touched on it a little bit there, but why is why is moving around so valuable for someone like you? Um, as, as my trainee, obviously, we only see oncology patients here, but we will get patients that have got cardiac disease, they've got diabetes, they've got asthma, they've got other comorbidities. So seeing that in and in, in having that experience with these other ACPs, learning how to deal with that and management, um, it's fantastic to bring back to the Christie to get that experience. Um, like I say, I wouldn't necessarily see it here. So to see that there um, and develop it in my portfolio and evidence it as well um, has been fantastic. Christopher, let's let's bring you in here. What's your what's your kind of role in all of this? So so my role is ultimately around retention and around um, the work that we've done with the vaccination program. Um, and how we, I suppose, relating to digital staff passport is around movement of individuals across the system. When I say system, we're looking at Greater Manchester Health and Care. And what we did with um, the vaccination programme was we were, we were able to deploy staff who'd been working at the mass vaccination site into other areas to support vaccinations and, la and later on, immunisations and other pieces, you know, work of care um, within health and social care. What, what the staff passport would allow you to do is, is do that more freely, um, free up a lot of the back office time as well, um, and those agreements. So we're thinking about the memorandum of understanding that we have to put in place, the indemnities and everything else along that, with how you would move a, an individual from one place to another. The digital staff passport would really benefit that opportunity for people to explore other avenues. And with, if I link it back to retention, you know, one of the themes that's coming through is that you know people are getting burnt out. People are wanting to look at their career and looking at a portfolio of career. And actually, this is a really, really useful tool to allow us to do that. Thinking about these new ways of working that we're setting out in the NHS plan, but also in our own plan within Greater Manchester, this is a, a tool that can help that. Uh, your role's not uh, just involved with cancer, is it? So your role is retention right across the GM. <clears throat> all health and care staff but how does cancer strategy tie in with with the kind of wider uh, uh, retention work so i think if we we take it back to so, so where i work within the icb within um, nhs gm so we look at, we're in i'm situated within the people and culture function and i think with these when we're looking at strategies we have an overarching people and culture um, strategy which has just been produced and this is where I think the starting point needs to be. So if we think about what we're trying to do within our specialisms, how do we all align? If we're thinking about our people, our workforce, and the population that we're serving, we need to be aligned so that we've got the same goals, but recognising that there are there are certain, you know, there, there are different parameters for different specialties or different sectors, certainly, across health and care. And I think when we're thinking about alignment, what we want to be thinking about is, 
are we on the same roads with with some of the priorities that we've got? So if we think about the five priorities that are set out with the Greater Manchester People and Culture Strategy, they focus on workforce integration, good employment, workforce well-being, addressing inequalities, and growing and developing our workforce. If we relate that to the GM Cancer priorities, you can see that you've got workforce and well-being, you've got workforce integration, addressing inequalities, and also growing and developing our workforce. So you can already start to see some of that alignment. So we've got more strength of what we're trying to achieve across a wider net of, of workforce. Let's just focus in on well-being for a second. Lots of well-being offers out there, but are people within the workforce actually accessing um, all these options for them? It's, it's a good question. I think, you know, time and time again, we can say there's a toolkit for this or there's a toolkit for that. And how do you access that? And, you know, from my own experience of being a clinician myself on the front line, when it's so busy, what's going to help you within your own well-being as an individual, um, whether you're clinical or non-clinical? There, there are lots of tools out there and some really brilliant, valuable tools and also some just best practice. And a lot of that is done locally, but also the um, at a system level as well. There's access to, a, a, as I say, a plethora of resources. I think, you know, even if you just went on to um, the... Greater Manchester um, Wellbeing Toolkit um, program, which was was put into place um, some years back now and is still going strong, it has so much resources around what you can access and how you can access, and it gives you then the starting point to understand as an organisation or as a as an individual what's out there and what resource can we access other than what's in just your local organisation. There's some really good practice that we're doing at local level or that or, or that organizations are doing at local level so Tameside and Glossop for example were looking at how to improve their staff well-being through a health and well-being audit of staff rest areas and facilities so again it's thinking about we know funding's tight we know that there's you know there's never enough hours in the day but actually what are the small things that you can do to improve the health and well-being for your individual um, for your staff and with the case study that was at um, Tameside and Glossop is that they recognised and understood the importance of staff facilities and amenities in relation to health and well-being. So it's the simple things such as staff lockers, showers, a quiet room, food and drink and safe spaces um, were the things that often made a real difference for their workforce. And they developed and deployed um, a workplace environment and well-being audit to examine the existence condition and also the usage of a range of facilities that are available to the staff or what are being used and what are not being used, which contribute to um, the workplace hygiene factors. And this, all, this audit actually provided them with a, a benchmark from which they could drive improvements. And the results of this audit was that it had huge positive feedback from the staff because they felt that they were being helped in a practical way to improve their experience at work, but also being invested in, but also being valued. Um, and in the more medium term, the trust has seen an increase in people using the employee assistance program um, and the other staff benefits, which they believe is due to the better promotion of these um these stuff break areas or, or the promotion around where these these um, resources are being cited. So I think, again, it all links back. It's a very complex landscape, like Suzanne was saying, but so much can happen just as a result of one piece of work that, that is undertaken, such as that, which will then help with retention, will then help with staff wellbeing, will then help with... Um, the actual productivity within your within your work streams. So I think there's there's a lot more. There's really good case studies, isn't there, and examples. But there's a lot more that we need to do in that space. And that alignment piece. Yeah. You know, we've taken 
the priorities that's in the overarching GM plan and, and aligned to that from a cancer perspective in our strategy. So for the wellbeing bit, we're promoting the toolkit and other offers that are coming out generally, but to our cancer workforce, because it's that filtration of information down to front people working on the front line, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. always get through. So we're doing that comms bit. Um, but I think there's something that we can do, and we've talked about how we can work together to measure that impact. You know, are people accessing it? Are people like Gemma and other clinicians accessing these wellbeing offers? Do they have the space to access them? Because we're hearing that that's not necessarily happening, so maybe we can do some targeted work. It came out um, at, a, at a meeting the other day around junior doctors and the wellbeing for them, because that's going to retain them if we can get the wellbeing bit right. And, and maybe we can work together to make sure that people are accessing it and we can measure that impact a bit more closely. But it's all interconnected, you know, the staff passport will help with that wellbeing. If, somebody, if people want those opportunities to move around, to get that training and access different services and see how people are working, mm-hmm. that's going to help with wellbeing. Access to training in general, you know, that's a huge focus in our strategy because... Um, we know that education is linked to retention, well-being. So we've got the Cancer Academy that we're, you know, we've got our digital hub now, so that everybody can access cancer education through that. So it's all interconnected, but there is definitely more that we need to be doing in that well-being space that we're retaining staff. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, strategies and plans and all sorts. And I, I worked at the BBC for a long time, and I know they love the plan. They love the plan and a meeting and a strategy and all that kind of thing. And actually so much of, of feeling valued though comes down to people, doesn't it? It comes down to like your your line manager or, or the person above that or whatever, making you feel like you actually, you, you matter and your opinion matters. So are you doing, are you doing work, you know, just with the managers, with people to kind of just, you know, make sure the right people are in place you know, not everyone is a good manager, but uh, making sure the right people are in, are in place, but the people that are in place are, are, are managing well. Yeah, definitely. And it's a really important point. And we've got a project um, that's started. So there's a, there's a national framework to try and um, to transform basically your career in education for the non-medical workforce. That's your nurses, your allied health professionals, your cancer support workers all working in cancer. There's a, a capability, there's a framework in place, but actually how are people going to use that so that they can inform their one-to-one discussions, you know, and, and have a career development plan. Um, it's very well, it's all easy to land a framework in a system, but it's working with the managers to actually use it so that they can ha- have those important one-to-one conversations with staff. So we're recruiting at the moment um, a clinical practice educator lead role who will specifically go in to work, we're, we're doing it in Stockport and Bolton um, as part of the pilot, but they will go in and work with teams and work with managers and say, right, we've got this framework here. This shows kind of the capabilities that your team should be aspiring to achieve. How can we work with you to support those conversations that you're having and to use that framework to put a development plan in place? put a plan for what training and education that member of staff can have because you're right the manager is going to land with the managers and they're already pressured trying to deal with you know just day-to-day business as usual so we need that extra support through these practice educators to enable them to work more and it's ensuring that the message gets down to the the clinical staff who are on the front line then isn't it Um, and I think when you came to our ACP away day there was a lot of things on on your presentation there that a lot of the ACPs weren't aware of so so that was really good at highlighting everything that's a big part of actually the comms isn't it 
actually communicating things like digital staff passport, things like your wellbeing programs, things you know, things that are, are there but people won't know about them until you tell them. There's there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that people just don't recognise or don't have access to, and that's one of the principles from the Greater Manchester Workforce Bureau, which I head up, is around access, giving people access, giving people assurance, engagement. Um, with currently, there's a piece um, being undertaken that was set up with, by uh, Manisha Kumar and Mandy Philbin at, um, at NHSGM, where we've had a series of clinical and care professional leadership workshops to look very much at how do we look at leaders for the future? How do we look at, and that's at all levels, but again, how do we give the right tools? How do we give the right support to these individuals from an inclusion perspective, from an equality, an equity perspective, but also from allowing people to have the right tools to do their job and be supported to do that so that we actually do look at our workforce from a point of view of the longevity, from a point of view of what do you need at grassroots, so to speak, or at the shop floor to allow us to help and have a, a health and sustainable workforce and this is critical it's one of the things that came through some of the retention work that we've been doing across health and care is and, and that stems from cancer through to you know social care providers we've got three key themes one of those key themes is around managerial training and how do we help people become better managers to help manage the workforce that are around them as well whether you're um the higher echelons or whether you're you know entry level or whether you're within whatever part of the workforce life cycle that you've got yeah we've got um at the alliance we've got a number of clinical lead forums as well um which is involving cancer managers lead cancer nurses all those in in senior positions and clinical leads and it's it's sharing that information through those forums and they can take that back internally as well um, within their staff but it's, it's getting out there you know there's a lot of CNS so we've got a Greater Manchester CNS workforce group which has a few CNSs from all the different trusts to look at what activity we can focus on <clears throat> but then trusts are now getting their own um, CNS forums so we are now getting out there and going to present to them have a, have a conversation rather than just present to them this is what's out there how can we work with you so that we understand what you want our strategy can meet your need and so that comms piece is huge really I think one thing that came out of the workshops that we were just talking about before was around yes digital is absolutely key you know we're in a digital modernised world um, how do we link up through digital how do we access information and resources through digital or but actually it's those one-to-one -one conversations with pe with people within your team around your team or people who don't directly work within you. i mean you know like Suzanne and I don't work directly with each other. However, we're, we're networking to ensure that we're aligned with what we're trying to achieve from a cancer perspective, but also from a wider Greater Manchester perspective for health and care. And I think one of the things that came out is just, it is about that navigation and support. So it's the where, the how and the who. And actually, you can do so much with so little, whether it's shadowing, whether it's about giving people the opportunity to access space, to understand what is it that would they're wanting to achieve within their role or how does that affect their attention or how does that affect their well-being at work or, or their just a, you know happiness to be working within health or care. Gemma just imagine these these guys aren't here like <laughs> what do you think maybe could be done differently or better in terms of the comms of all this? Um, I think sometimes um, I mean because now I'm a more of a senior nurse now so um, but when I was in my previous role, I think the issues and the barriers that we came against were having the time to do any training, having that time out, making sure you got a break, <laughs> making sure, you know, that other staff were well supported. There was always the pressure to get things done um, before you went home, those kind of things. But 
it's it's great now to see that things have definitely changed from although I don't manage anybody at the minute it's great to see from especially on the research side at the Christie now we have um, an educational lead there um, Alex Brewster who's fantastic and he's great at helping with training and um, education with the research staff and the research nurses as well um, and we've been helping with that as well so we myself and Sinead the, as the ACPs and the CRF do emergency scenario training on there so we found when we did a lot of scoping on there that we wanted to um, the staff wanted to learn more clinical skills um, and we found that that has helped with a lot of staff retention as well um, but it's given them the time and we've highlighted to the managers as well that um, the, there is um, a priority to get these staff trained um, and in the UK CRF policy as well staff you have to do emergency scenario training at least twice a year um, so we've made it a priority to make sure that they're getting that support um, and having the time to be out of the clinical area to go and learn and to do even online learning um, they found has been fantastic and it's been great for the staff and the staff morale as well. And that's where you know the job plan bit and having mm. space in your job plans yeah there's only so much we can influence as yeah. an alliance because it's very much organizational yeah. led but that's the power of us working closely with the likes of christopher and the integrated care because they are you are looking across health and care mm. and that ensuring that people have access to education and protected time is something that we can work with you on to try and influence yeah. within the system mm. I think if we go back to just looking around retention, and I know retention is a word that it can be many things, and there's so much that spawns out of that. We're looking, you know, when I talk about put retention, I talk about portfolio of retention, and it's everything that Gemma was saying before. When it, when, what does it actually mean to that individual working on the front line? You know, how can we help support that individual? How can we, as a as a collective, put, um, put things in place to ensure that we we have the appropriate time off for staff for protected learning time or or you know, you said something earlier just about breaks, you know, just just making sure that there is, you know, that operational function there that gives people the, the well-being, the, 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 the time out of very high-pressured, you know, um, environments a lot of the time. But when we come back to thinking about retention, we're looking at some of the, the work that we've done across our providers um, is, is brought, bringing back down to how we, accru how we attract people, how we recruit, but how we develop and retain staff. So it's that development that will help and the value that people get from being developed to keep them within their, their places of work. Then it comes back to making, making sure it's looking attractive from the outside, isn't it? Yeah, outside and inside so yeah. that people want to stay. And it's about it's about how we work as well as a team. You know, it's about reducing duplication. It, you know, it absolutely it's about making sure we grow our workforce, make sure we've got a sustainable workforce, and actually how we keep workforce attracted. But it's about ensuring that we we minimise duplication, so it helps our workforce to do their job, to be able to 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 have the you know the the productivity that they need to have to be able to deliver safe care for our for our population. And I think recently as well, over the past few years, there's been a more shift in focus on leadership, not just management, but leadership as well. Um, and there's been there's in-house training at the Christie, but there's also um, the Mary Seacole leadership as well, which, you know, a lot of staff will try and get on. And I've heard more recently people who want to do it haven't been had or haven't had the capacity to do it or the teams haven't had the capacity to let somebody go on the course because of staffing. Um, so it's trying to find a way around that really and um, allowing staff 
to take those opportunities because um, obviously if you're doing the leadership courses as well you you're not just focusing on I'm a manager and this is my tasks and this is what I need to do but as a leader you're setting a, an example for the rest of your staff and the rest of the team and that attraction piece you know it's not just attracting the t- traditional cancer roles that we always have been because we know that we've not got enough mm. coming through the system we still need to maintain those traditional roles but it, it's how can we attract people that have not really ever been working in cancer before so I know we've got a podcast coming up about the physician associate you know they've never been traditionally associated particularly with cancer because it's generalist role um, but we've tried to look at pilots to bring them into the cancer workforce and how can we support them through training to bring different skills to the mix so they're not replacing our nurses because we, we absolutely need our TNSs and cancer nurses but it's bringing additional skills and it's an additional part a workforce that we've not tapped into before and it's working really well. Let's just finish by just casting our eyes, you know, forward, a crystal ball gazing time. Let's look five or 10 years ahead. Like, where are we going to be with, you know, things like retention, things like the workforce well-being? You know, where are we going to be in five or 10 years, do you think? So where I'd like us to be is that we achieve that one, I'm going to call it one, cancer workforce ambition for us. And that is where we make sure that cancer is everybody's business, as cliche as that sounds, um, because we've got one in two people expect a diagnosis of cancer it can't just be a specialist thing anymore you know we need our specialists absolutely but we also need to be supporting and upskilling staff across the different health and care sectors and so that they can better support cancer patients they've got a really good understanding around cancer through education Um, and we can have blended roles so they're working across the different sectors so that we really join up um, and everybody feels like they've got that confidence to better support our... What's a blended role? Just explain what Sorry, a blended role is where... Um, so the, for us, a blended role is where they're working across different boundaries. So we've, we're doing it with a physician associate. Um, they're working in primary care and secondary care as well. So that blended across the two sectors. And Christopher will have another example as well. But it just brings the specialist knowledge for us into primary care as well to, be, to support cancer patients in that sector. I think just picking up from that blended role piece, there's so much, there's so much benefit out there, all the good stuff that we're doing across the system. So if you take, think about blended roles in social care, there's been a huge piece around blended roles and success within the individual working within social care can do a number of roles within that one, one piece of work. But again, it's about how we recruit into, you know, just for example, social care, but how that can then help the recruitment into cancer services. If we think about there's been a huge piece of step into care around values-based recruitment. Um, Northern Care Alliance have been doing this for some time as well. And actually attracting at all levels, you know, and, and managing to retain, so reducing staff turnover. But also it's about thinking, how do we give opportunity for those who, we had a discussion outside of this, who, you know, access nursing, who may not have the academia, um, who may, may not have had the opportunity to get into nursing with GCSEs, qualifications, or what have you. There's a lot around care leavers, a, a covenant going on at the moment, and how can we um, support people with lived experience, actually access roles and a pathway into a profession or, or, or into health and care. So I think, you know, it's going back to looking at the future, it's how we give access and how we give support and opportunity to uh, <coughs> optimise our, our workforce and, and our ability to attract and retain and develop this workforce. Thank you so much to Gemma, to Suzanne and to Christopher for joining me on this episode of the GM Cancer Podcast. We'll be back next time.